it shifted for me. And the sermon was no longer just about how am I helping people structure and form their beliefs or how am I helping people grow spiritually or grow in maturity. The sermon came became for me more about how am I forming a congregation. And so it, that really flipped a lot because then I would start thinking more about, and I talked earlier about structure. You know, for me, the the primary piece of every sermon that I wanted to preach was I wanted to get to a place where I spoke some sort of calling over our congregation. Like we as a people are called to be this. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 172. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. Well, you're about to be introduced to a bit of a role model to me. Uh, John Chandler is not only a thoughtful and gifted preacher in his own right, he also has like a heart that's geared towards like care and spiritual formation, um, both to the congregations that he has pastored and led, and also like he's interested in the care and the formation of preachers like you and me. Now, John has been like serving preachers for a long time. Uh, years ago, back before everyone had a podcast, he had one called Sermon Smith. And guys, that's like my favorite podcast that ever has existed. Um, in fact, it really kind of inspired uh, what you're hearing and benefiting from right now. So I was glad to be able to, to meet him, to speak to him about the Sermon Smith podcast, and also ways that he's interested in preparing and guiding and shepherding pastors and leaders now through um, his work as a spiritual director. Well, this conversation is a lot of fun. I know that you really are going to enjoy it. But I do want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by the Calvary Global Network International Conference. It's coming up at the end of this month, June 28th, going until July 1st. And the speaking lineup includes some previous guests on this podcast. Uh, Gavin Ortland and Pam Markey are speaking at the conference, and uh, they have made their way through the Expositors Collective podcast, and, uh, and now they're hitting the big leagues. So here is an ad for the conference, and immediately following, you're going to hear my conversation with John Chandler. The theme of the 2021 CGN International Conference is The Way of Jesus. This past year has presented challenges that transcend society and culture, but it didn't change the mission of God to rescue his alienated creation via the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we press into the way of Jesus, we want to approach culture the way that Jesus did. Concepts like human dignity, justice, wisdom, and power are at the forefront of conversations in our culture like never before. Are are we understanding and engaging in this dialogue from a worldly definition of these ideas, or do we operate according to the model, message, and method that Jesus gave us in the Gospels? Joining us this year as we dialogue about the way of Jesus are Gavin Ortland, author and missiologist Alan Hirsch, John Jenkins, pastor of First Baptist Church in Glen Arden, Maryland, author and YouTube host Beckett Cook, missionary and Bible college director Pam Markey, and many more. Sessions will feature live dialogues and Q&As with the speakers, and our interactive, in-person, and online specialized training tracks focus on various aspects of ministry leadership, including the posture of the church in an age of hate, the way of Jesus in a sexually broken culture, spiritual health for spiritual leadership, women in the way of Jesus, and more. The CGN International Conference will be online and in-person at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa from June 28th through July 1st. Registration is open to pastors, church leaders, lay leaders, volunteers, men, women, anyone called to serve Christ and His kingdom. To register and for more information, visit our website at conference.calvarychapel.com. That's conference.calvarychapel.com. We hope to see you there. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. Um, I have the privilege of speaking with uh, with John Chandler. John, uh, good morning. Welcome. Glad to have you morning. here. Good evening. 
Yeah, good. Well, for me, it's yeah, it's four twenty six for me, oh, okay. and I know that it's uh, different for you. So, Ireland is connecting with Arizona right now. Yeah, and uh, thank you for for including me. Um, so I know you a lot more than than you know me. Uh, <laughs> you are the host of my uh, my favorite podcast, or one of the early favorites. Um, you hosted the Sermon Smith podcast. And uh, what what caused you to to start uh, that podcast? Yeah, um, so that was in that was in the early stages of my own church starting our public gathering, and I had been church planting, but we had been in an incubating stage for a long time, and so I was just thinking a lot about what is my sermon preparation process going to look like? That was going to be the first season of my life where I was preaching that regularly. You know, my prior roles had always been an associate pastor or a youth pastor where I was teaching regularly. Um, but so I was, you know, I was just thinking a lot about how am I going to work this in? I was bivocational. I worked part-time for the church and, and I did freelance work on the side as well. Um, and at the same time, I just have always been interested in talking about creative processes, not just sermons, but any kind of creative, like, I'm always curious, how do writers get writing done? You know, how do people who make music, what does their process look like? And so I realized that all those interests were merging, and I kept finding myself asking some of my other pastor friends, how do you do sermon prep? You know, Mm -hmm. when I was at a conference, or even when I was just catching up with somebody on on the phone, and I realized... This is a really interesting conversation to me, and I don't know how interesting it's going to be to other people. Maybe it will be, maybe not, but I really like this conversation, and uh, so I just decided I was going to turn it into a podcast and started inviting people. And it it was interesting to get feedback um, from people who I invited because some of them were just really into it. And some of you can even sense their energy. Maybe as you listen to some of the old episodes, Tim Keel was one of my early ones that stands out to me. He was so energized by the conversation. Hmm. There were some people who turned me down <laughs> and they said, I don't even know how I would begin to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yep, I feel the same way. <laughs> so, so when, when was that? What was the, the, the year this, this, it, it was back when podcasting was a little more rare. I mean, these days, you know, yeah. the, 2020 was the year that spawned 10,000 podcasts, you know, everyone yeah, yeah. started yeah. their own podcast did seven or eight episodes and then, and then right. dropped it. Uh, but, but you, you started, what, what year was that? That was 2013. 2013. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I, I remember finding it and, and I guess maybe just to, to say to the, the listeners to this podcast that know, know exactly, uh, what we're on about, or if the, the introduction didn't clue you in, uh, essentially what you're listening to now, the Expositors Collective is kind of like a, like a, loving homage to the Sermon Smith podcast, or we're the cover band uh, that is kind of playing uh, a tribute uh, to, uh, to what John did. I, I found that podcast. I, I listened to every episode. I, I went back and binged. There's some that I've listened to multiple times because I'm, I'm geared in a very similar way, maybe um, interested in the process of sermon preparation and yeah. even, even delivery. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, like it just kind of slowed down and then somewhat kind of ground to a, to a stop. Yeah. And, and, uh, I thought, oh man, like John has like the coolest like gig or hobby or whatever, uh, to be able to have these conversations about the sermon process, which seems so interesting to me. He gets to do it over and over and over again. And I thought like, I, I wish I could do that. <laughs> and then thought, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe I can. And, uh, and this podcast kind of became, uh, became that. And then again, as, as you guys have kind of s- stalled out or are retiring on episode 97, I, I hope to be able to, to carry that, uh, what Olympic torch <laughs> to the next. <laughs> anyway, so I'm a big, big, you huge can just fan. build on it and take it further and make it better, please. Well, yeah. I mean, but, and you were, this is the first, the first time I ever like, created like I ever um, was a Patreon supporter of any podcast was was for this mm. one because I'm like I'm well, thank a, you. this is really great I love this I love this and so forgive me for geeking out but I and now as a podcaster you know how valuable that you know support for your time investment can be yeah <laughs> I'm sure well I actually don't we don't we don't do that yet but you don't do it yeah <laughs> Maybe it's the, helpful the, 
Yes, yes, yes. And so I said first, not only, but, uh, and so if you guys, if you're listening podcast worlds and you benefit from other podcasts and they have a Patreon, maybe, maybe consider uh, a couple bucks a month. Um, okay. So of those 97 episodes, John, uh, that you did, um, is there something that you, you remember the most or was there something that impacted you the most spread across those 97 conversations? Yeah. I mean, there were, there were quite a few things that hit me at different times and it certainly helped me, um, kind of tune. I, I, I definitely had a comfort level and a flow that worked for me, but I found I kept adjusting it and I kept tuning it a lot. Uh, of, Of course this is obvious, but at the same time, one of the things that I was consistently almost reformed by, like it it reaffirmed to me something that I would have said on paper, but I needed to keep hearing and keep experiencing myself, which is just so much about how much the heart of the pastor, the heart of the preacher has to, you know, be right and has to be formed by the sermons themselves. And, and many people said that. And of course you hear that and you shrug and you say, yes, of course. But that became really true for me. How often, you know, hearing pastors talk about how they labored over um, or, or labored in prayer before they started their sermons. Or for some of them, you know, just the the sense of longing that came through to share, you know, what had been placed on their heart with their people felt really important. Um, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit even before we started, but there was one, um, Matt Woodley, who is probably middle of the road in terms of not middle of the road in terms of quality. <laughs> I was middle like, where, of the road where are you Middle of the road in terms of the runway of all the, the episodes. Um, somewhere in the middle. But I, I just still go back to all the time. He said there is an authority that comes with suffering. And, you know, that, and he, you know, he was one of the more mature and wizened of the people that I interviewed. And it, when he said that, it felt so important to me. And I've gone back to it so many times because, you know, really what he was saying is when you're up there preaching, um, people can sense when it's real for you and when it's authentic for you. You know, and he talked about how he preached out of his own journey and out of his own suffering. That was really helpful for me. Um, especially because, you know, there were a lot of ups and downs in my own life in that season too. Uh, the other really practical one that was kind of a, a standout for me um, is I, along the way, and I've, I, I've talked about this a few times. I don't remember if I ever talked about this on Sermon Smith, but certainly there were a few other podcasts I got invited on. It's, <laughs> it's something similar to this, but um, I, I developed a structure for writing sermons along the way out of my conversations in sermon Smith that I used almost every week and a structure, meaning almost like an outline that I followed, which I was always, I was always against that. I never wanted to be the three point outline guy. I liked the creativity of it. And I remember early on I was interviewing uh, a friend of mine, a guy named Gideon Tseng, who was another pastor in Austin where we were. And he talked about, he, he talked about the value of structure and I remember the, the example he always gives is he heard an interview with one of the writers for a sitcom called the golden girls from like 20 or 30 years ago yeah. was also one of the writers for a sitcom called arrested development. Okay. And he said that those two uh, sitcoms follow the same structure, even though you would never know it, they follow the same structure of story every single episode that gets overlaid, you know, and you wouldn't know it because there's just a lot of freedom in that. And so I came to a place where I realized it's really helpful for me to have a structure that I use for my sermons. One for the process of putting the sermon together, because I might have all these ideas, but when I can start to see where they fit in, it matters. But also because I realized it really helped me for evaluating the sermon after the fact. If, if okay. I knew what I wanted to accomplish with every sermon, some of it might go well, some of it might not go well, but rather than just base it on 
who said what to me afterwards to know that I had a goal for what I wanted to communicate and that I communicated it. And certainly there were things I could have communicated better or things, you know, that I might want to sharpen up next time. But I knew that I communicated what my goal had been to communicate. So that was that was probably the most significant learning for me out of the podcast. And that came through multiple conversations. There were a few different people who talked about structures that they had. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just can't stop thinking about how Arrested Development and Golden Girls are, are the same in, in structure. I mean, what, what, how are they the same? What's the gist of it? Is it uh, the hero's journey or what's, what's going on there? I, I doubt it's the hero's journey for those two. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've honestly never watched an episode of Golden Girls in my life. Okay. I have okay. watched quite a few of Arrested Development and right. always felt empty afterwards. <laughs> um, felt it's so empty and yet so funny. But I, I, I think he just meant like the development of, similar to the hero's journey, but just the development of the storyline, you mm-hmm. know, and the plot points yeah. of at, you know, the third scene, this is going to be introduced and in the sixth scene, this is going to be introduced. I remember there was a, Oh gosh, I see I'm going to go blank on it right now. Um, there, there was, there's a book that's written about writing movie scripts. Uh, it's not going to come to me. Um, but that just talks about almost every movie you see, you know, at the 20 to 25% mark of the movie or maybe sooner, there needs to be some kind of inciting incident that, you know, ramps up the tension in the movie. That that kind of thing. Right. I think is the yeah. structure he was talking about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's a surprising, surprising uh, learning moments there. Right. Uh, and so, okay. So you essentially, it sounds like you started the podcast, A, out of your own curiosity, and then B, as a way to, to help you to improve or to form or to find your own footing as you were preaching more regularly back in Austin. Is that, is that right? I wish I was that noble. It was mostly just out of my own curiosity and then the other stuff happened along the way. I thought there's, there's benefits for me in this too. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Well, so, so was Austin the location of your first sermon that you ever preached or, or where was your first sermon? So, I mean, yeah, Austin was my third church ministry. Okay. Um, I did youth ministry for 10 or 11 years here in Arizona, where I am now. I helped start a church for three years up in near Seattle, um, and then Austin. Austin was my first you know, lead pastor role, so to speak, where I was the main preacher. But I was on the teaching team you know, and in the rotation at both of our other churches. But my first, I, I would guess that my first sermon... Um, <laughs> would have probably been in preaching classes. You know, I went to a Bible college undergrad in Southern California. Now it's called Hope International University in Fullerton, California. At the time, it was Pacific Christian College. So, you know, we had to preach to each other. But I think, I don't know if this is my first, but as part of our preaching classes, they also had us go and do sermons in other churches in the community, yeah. you know, around yeah. Orange County and Los Angeles County. Those poor people. Yeah. <laughs> somehow their they're, yeah. somehow their generous pastors offered up slots. You know, back then there were a lot of Sunday night services still happening in a lot of churches. So I have a very clear memory of driving to a church. I and it was it was probably a, I mean it was in San Fernando Valley, which from Orange County where we were was like an hour and a half to two hour drive on a Sunday. And so I remember my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, was driving. And on the way there, um, I totally rewrote this sermon. And so it was it was a sermon on um, putting on the armor of God. And you're yawning. Nobody else no, can see it, but no. you're yawning <laughs> four in the afternoon. I feel like this is an interesting story, but maybe I need to move it along a little more quickly. <laughs> oh, man, I'm caught. I'm caught. <laughs> so, all right. So anyway, I had already <laughs> preached this sermon on the armor oh, of God. Okay, and yeah. See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call out my own guest when I was hosting a podcast, but I'm willing to call you out when I am a guest. <laughs> um, I was up late doing something very noble last night. So yes. I just, I want you to know. Yes. 
<laughs> you did send me an email what it, what must have been very late for you last night. I did realize you were up late. Anyway. Yeah, I usually I usually go to bed at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock, <laughs> but I was up until 1 o'clock last night. So. Wow. So forgive All me. Right. Forgive me for yawning. I was... I was uh, Helping, I, yes. I, I'm just, I'm just doing some. Just think of the best thing in the world, and I was doing that. <laughs> all the grace, all the grace. Okay. So, <laughs> so this was a sermon that I'd already preached in class. Okay. On the armor of God, and I was going to reuse it. I don't remember anything about the original sermon in class. I don't remember what kind of reviews I got, but you know, from my peers, because we all critiqued our sermons. But we, I was, so we were driving up there Sunday afternoon. And for some reason, I just felt like, I don't know that I like what's going on with this sermon. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so glad that there were no podcasts at the time. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's any recording that exists because on the way up there, I rewrote that sermon to somehow match up the armor of God with the imagery of Santa Claus. And somehow I matched up all of the thing, you know, because Santa Claus has boots and Santa Claus has a belt and... I don't know what I did, but somehow I likened the armor of God to the imagery of Santa Claus because it was early December and it just felt like, let's make this a timely sermon. And I don't know. I mean, that would not be my norm. I'm not the kind of guy who typically is going to like do a total rewrite (laughs) of a sermon on the way there, but I did. You probably shouldn't have. (laughs) That sounds Maybe not. that sounds I mean, it, really stupid. I mean, is that okay? That sounds really yeah. lame. It, I think it worked. I, it oh seems, yeah. Oh, it okay. seems terrible. Okay. It seems terrible now to even like consider that I did that. The only feedback I remember getting was from um, a mom who came up with her young son. You know, who just said he was so riveted because <laughs> I was talking about Santa Claus. Okay. Well, I I take back my my criticism. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever done it for what yeah, that's worth. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh man. And and having it be December makes takes a little bit of the sting <laughs> out of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't do Santa Claus in March. It, it would have been <laughs> yeah. likening it would have been likening the armor of God to the Easter bunny, I suppose. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. So so there that was yeah, an event. And then you had what, two hours to drive back at the end of it. Um was there was there good feedback from from your girlfriend? Did she did she have good things to say? Um, I don't remember. Okay, maybe. Okay, okay. Hey, yeah. I'm 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 old, Mike. I mean, that was that would have been uh, thirty years ago. Thirty so. years ago. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, then I guess like the next question is like, well, how have you grown since then? Uh, and, and obviously, obviously <laughs> a, lot. a lot. It's it's been thirty yeah. years, but. But uh, maybe what's the what, and, and then maybe this connects to, to another idea. But like, what did you think of preaching then, and yeah. how has your like understanding of of preaching or even the sermon maybe changed over over the past thirty years? Yeah, yeah, I really felt a lot of pressure in those early days, you know, to put together a teaching or a sermon. The youth ministry I was part of you know, in my early years was a very large church, you know? And so even then a lot of the teaching that was done was just more of a, you know, it wasn't dialogue in nature because it was a large group. And so it was, okay. it was pretty much sermon format and, you know, stand up for 30 minutes and teach. So um, even then, even though I was on, on the teaching team, but only rotated in for the whole church a few times in that ministry, a lot of the stuff I was doing was similar to sermons. And I felt a lot of pressure early on to just feel like I had something to say and that I could get it right. And and a lot of pressure every time to make sure there was really something, you know, but starting from scratch in a lot of ways, each, you know, because a topic would be assigned to me or a verse would be assigned to me and just feeling all this weight of, I've got to come up with something to say for this. Um, I even remember one time being asked to speak in the devotionals for our dorm in college and just finding somebody else like the afternoon of, it was an evening devotional, finding somebody else to fill in for me the evening of, because I was, I was anxious about it. You know, I didn't feel like it was coming together the way I wanted it to come together. I didn't feel like I had something to say. Um, And it, that, I think that's the only time I ever did that, but the, but there was definitely a, a pressure that I felt all the time. And somewhere along the way, 
something that really helped me, you know, was to get to a place where I felt like I truly am speaking out of the overflow of learning and overflow of my own knowledge and my own experience. And I became an, I, I was, I always read books, but somewhere along the way I became a really avid reader okay. and really particular about capturing notes and capturing ideas and, and that kind of thing along the way. And so something flipped for me there. And I think, I think it almost happened when, um, when I really did have to start teaching more regularly uh, for, for a long, you know, for a long season in my first ministry, I was, like I say, it was a large church. So there were multiple youth pastors on staff. And so for a long season of that, you know, I was the, one of the underlings, so to speak. And I spent most of my time with either people who were my peers or my direct bosses. And so there, there was, there was a lot of people, so to speak, pouring into me. And then later on, I moved into a role where, I was the you know head of the youth ministry team, and and once I was the head of the youth ministry team, suddenly I spent most of my time with people who were looking to me for leadership, and I spent much less time with people who were my peer. and And that began a season for me of realizing what does it look like for me to just cultivate more, more of my own care. It, not that I didn't have support and care from you know mm-hmm. my wife and from those above me and stuff like that, but that's when I really learned that personally I gained a lot out of spending a lot of time reading, spending a lot of time out of exploring ideas and something switched in that season where any teaching for me, any speaking or any preaching became a lot easier because I, I I just had all sorts of ideas already flowing, already going. And so it was more about bringing those ideas together and forming them into a teaching Mm -hmm. rather than feeling like I was, starting from scratch every time and feeling all that pressure to have something specific to say about a topic that somebody else assigned to me. So that was a, that was probably my key learning that would still carry me today. Yeah. Yeah. That seems, uh, really, really challenging. So you'd be told to speak on hope or, or peace or love, uh, on any given week. Yeah. And then you just go do it. Right. Or Bible verse, you know, and we'd, we'd usually know in advance, but still, you know, in, in the busyness of ministry, it's not like, you know, I'd start four weeks ahead. I was, pro- I was probably teaching at that point two or three times a month between two different venues that we had. Okay. So, yeah, typically if, if I was doing our, you know, Wednesday night, quote unquote, Bible study, which would have still been a large group format, there's there's still, you know, maybe on Monday I'm starting work on that because I've been so big and just all that pressure was hard. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. For me. yeah. Yeah. So you, what was some of the changes that took place? You, you mentioned that once you, you no longer had like people directly over you that were, let's say pouring into you to use that language. Um, you had to develop systems of cultivating your own care I think was the, the the phrase that you used or something like it. What were those, what was the ways that you were cultivating care um, for your development in those times? Yeah, care might be too strong of a word. I mean, care is part of it. Um, I, I guess the, the flow of even what I'm talking about is just my own uh, growth would probably be a better term than care. Um, Care is something I probably learned I needed later. <laughs> Usually um, we have to be in our 30s before we start to see how important yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah. Gr- growth, um, I, I guess growth would be that that as I was, when I got to a place where rather than thinking, you know, I, maybe, maybe what it came to be is I re- recognized I'm not just the one who has to have all the answers and that there's a lot of benefit to me even asking questions and exploring and being curious. And so when my curiosity was peaked and in that season, then I, I became energized by curiosity. I became energized by exploring and I, I became energized by reading. It was about that time. Um, and, and now we're probably talking about a little over 15 years ago now, but kind of in the later season of my initial, you know, big youth ministry run there. Uh, I, I set a goal to just read a book a week to average a book a week over the course of every year. Is that right? And I've just been maintaining that ever since. Um, and that, that was really important for me. Not that books are, you know, the primary source of all learning and growth, but for me, 
that just kind of became an engine or kind of became a, a, a garden really might be a way to say it of there were always new things I was learning, new ideas I was exploring that, that just kind of brought, just kind of woke me and kind of um, brought me alive where then preparing for teachings was more about cutting away the parts because I had more to share than I had time to share. So mm-hmm. that that's really what it was. It, not care, but growth. It was It was finding what worked for me in terms of keeping myself energized, keeping myself rejuvenated so I had something to teach out of, something to share out of. Wow. And I, and I have a feeling we'll end up talking about the care side of things in, in a few minutes. Um, I'm still learning but that, that Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's, <laughs> yeah, aren't we all? And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 30s and much, many of my friends are. And uh, yeah, realizing the importance of that and uh, me and all my friends just turned into a bunch of really sensitive softies in the past couple of years um, when <laughs> right. previously we're going to, you know, charge the gates of hell and conquer and, you know, all, go, you know, all those things. And, and now we just realize, man, you know, I just want to walk with Jesus. I just want to have yeah. a consistent, like, not, not that our goals have gotten smaller, but maybe our, the expectations that we have are becoming a little bit more realistic and the, well, I'll, I'll, you're the spiritual director. I'll leave you to talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. So, okay. Now, now maybe here's a question. I didn't prep you on this one, but how have you found the difference from like teaching or preaching quite regularly to youth to then teaching or preaching regularly to an adult congregation? Yeah. So I'm going to spin your question a little bit because a lot of it was not even the difference between speaking to youth and adults for me. A lot of it was the difference between the setting of speaking where you're just preaching as a teacher for a group. So like when I was in youth ministry, most of my teaching, the mindset was how am I going to help all of them grow in their faith? Like what truth do I need to share with them to have an understanding of, or what practical teaching do I need to offer them, you know, so that they can grow spiritually. And even, you know, in the associate pastor role I was in before our church plant, it was kind of approached the same way, although as much more connected with the overall, you know, direction of the church and how sermons fit in. But when I was a church planter and lead pastor, um, it became it shifted for me. And the sermon was no longer just about how am I helping people structure and form their beliefs or how am I helping people grow spiritually or grow in maturity? The sermon came, became for me more about how am I forming a congregation? And so that really flipped a lot because then I would start thinking more about, and I talked earlier about structure, you know, for me, the, the, primary piece of every sermon that I wanted to preach was I wanted to get to a place where I spoke some sort of calling over our congregation. Like we as a people are called to be this, you know, in our time and place, which for for us was, you know, what we called North Central Austin, we are called to be a people who, and so based on whatever text we had been studying that day, I would pull out some kind of calling for us as a people And then I would spend, you know, some time in, I called it imagination, like imagining what this would look like. That's where it would get more practical. So sometimes that might mean that I was talking about individual practices that we could take on. And so there was still an individual practical component to it. But sometimes that also meant, you know, we were talking more about what does this mean for who we are trying to become and what are the kinds of things we are going to try to do as a congregation here, because we have this calling to be this people. So rather than I, so I'd say that would be the biggest difference. And it's not necessarily for me between youth ministry and speaking to adults so much as the, the role that I was in, it was rather than trying to form individuals, it became, what does it look like to form a congregation? What does it look like to form a people? So Wow. And I, I love that vocabulary, that, that shift from, okay, now I've taught you what this passage means. Okay. Now it's application time. Here's yeah. some ways that we can, we can do this passage. Yeah. Um, but imagining 
what it would look like for us to be a congregation shaped by these truths and then guiding people into different ways of thinking about it. What yeah. a, what a beautiful invitational way of painting, you know, or as people speak about, you know, like uh, portraying a preferred future, um, just showing people this could be us or this, this can be you. Um, and so let's, let's walk in this. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting now. I mean, I, I shared with you a sermon I did recently because the preaching I've been doing lately has been, you know, a little bit of guest preaching here and there. And it's, yeah. even that has a different dynamic to it then because I still try to follow that same structure. You know, I still believe that the sermon is this act of calling a community, forming an overall congregation, and then the people within it is a byproduct of that. But when you're not the, when you're a guest preacher and you're not the lead pastor who's like the the shepherd of those people, there's just a different nuance to it that I've still tried to learn. I still, I still try to come to people and speak over them, but I guess I do it more general, generalized as, you know, Christians in our time and place or, or followers of Jesus in our world today, we are called to be, to hold this posture or hold this, you know, this place in society and here's what it might look like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so, so yeah, you, you sent me the most recent, um, sermon that you did, which was, yeah, in kind of a unique situation. It was, uh, <laughs> the, the, you were on a, you were zooming live, <laughs> yes. projected onto a big sheet on the wall. And what, what were you seeing? Were you seeing a video of the people's faces or were you just talking to nothing? No, I was seeing myself. <laughs> You're seeing yourself. Cool. <laughs> because it was... Because, I, I mean, I wasn't just seeing myself. I was in a Zoom room. So mm-hmm. one of the cameras, so it was split. So they had the service going. It's a, it's a church plant that meets in a school. So there were a lot of people who were still, you know, spiritually distanced in terms, or socially distanced. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe spiritually distanced who too, knows? socially who knows? distanced. And they were watching via Zoom, but most of them didn't have cameras on. So I had a lot of black boxes. I see. And then I could see myself. I see. I, and then one of the cameras was what you saw, which was okay. also them yourself. recording the yes. service. But yes, at that point, it was just me being broadcast on the <laughs> screen. So it was it was an interesting dynamic, and that was my first that was my first Zoom sermon. Um, and it's I'm sure everybody here has empathy for me because it's a very strange strange experience. Yeah, well, I'll say this to you, and then also to everyone else who's who's listening. The, the one of the greatest things about Zoom, most people don't know about it, is called hide self view. Do you know about that? There's no. the three buttons on the top right. You you tap that, and then there's either hide self view or show self view. That nice. is is a game changer. That makes yeah. things a little bit more um, forbearable. You know, for uh, you can you can manage a little bit longer because right. I find it so hard when even when you're in a big group of people. Yeah. Um, talking through, I, I'm just, I'll be honest, I'm just drawn to myself, you know, I just keep on looking at my, my stupid self. Um, and, uh, to be able to turn that off helps me to be a bit more present, you know, quote unquote present to the other people that, that are there. So yeah, that's, that's helpful. Tip. Actually, I spend a lot of time in zoom these days, even in meetings. So that's a beautiful idea. I mean, even though you're, yeah, you're in Arizona, which is like, the land of the free, you guys are able to do so much stuff, but still Zoom is part of, probably will be part of life for quite a long time. Yeah. It's the land of the free, but we've chosen to be still very distanced as a family. So, Hey, cool. <laughs> cool. Um, so you, you, the last time you preached then was like back at the end of December. And so now yes. we're recording this anyway, like late March. So you're not, you're not preaching too much. And so, right. you know, I, I, I'd like to hear like what your sermon prep rhythm looks like, um, even maybe as a very occasional preacher, um, because not everybody who listens to the Expositors Collective preaches all the time. In fact, most of them don't. Um, yeah. It's people that are like interested in it and are excited when they're asked to, but they're mm-hmm. not the, the regular week in, week out preacher. So juggling like your regular job and then the lack of rhythm of working your way through a book or, or something, what, what does sermon prep look like as an occasional preacher? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say in a lot of ways, it's not a lot different from what I did before, because even even when I was preaching, you know, three times a month, two to three times a month in the church in Austin, I was 
my vocational, I worked half for the church and half time developing websites and did sermon Smith and all that. So, um, for me, sermon prep has always had to be, I've never been the guy who sets aside a full day and just disappear into some steady cave, you know, with piles of books and come out with a completed sermon. Um, the, the pastor of the first church I worked in, the, the large church, he would go away for a retreat a couple times a year up to a cabin and would write like, you know, three months worth of sermons or something like that. I never understood how he did that. That's never been me. Whoa. So for me, like, for me, sermon prep is more just like an ongoing, you know, it's, it's just a, a way of life, you know, and it's a matter of being attentive, um, to what's going on, whether it's paying attention to what's going on around me in life and things I'm thinking about. I'm always capturing thoughts and ideas, um, whether it's from the books that I'm reading. And so, yeah, I mean, so for me, it's one, just practically speaking, making sure I do have that system in place where I know that I'm going to be able to capture ideas as they come to me. Um, you know, and so a lot of times I'll just, something will come to me and I can even just speak it into my watch because I can capture on my Apple watch or something like that. Um, yes, there is some time that's set aside for more, you know, intentional, deliberate study. That might mean setting aside half an hour or an hour for a few mornings to spend time just reading through a particular, you know, commentary about the text or doing some of my own wrestling with the text and taking notes. Okay. But I just try to capture all of these pieces. A lot of it might even be thinking through what what are other things, you know, now I've got this, you know, history of sermons. And I like the sermon that you saw was mm-hmm. probably a conglomeration of about three or four different sermons I'd preached at other times because I realized this would work here, but this would okay. work together here, you know. And so it's a matter of putting it all together. But but like I said, I do have that structure. So ultimately what it looks like for me is just making sure that there's enough runway to keep capturing some of the ideas or the fruit of the study that I do and getting all that into just a file that holds all the pieces that I might want to use. But then, you know, a few days before the actual sermon itself or when somebody's telling me they need the outline for their bulletin, they still had a printed, they still had a printed quote unquote bulletin at this church that I, that you saw my sermon for. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so at that point, that's when I'll come sit down and I'll work through, okay, how do all these pieces fit in with the structure of sermon that I like to follow? And that's where that, that's where there's that efficiency for me and where it really streamlines it. And I'll just talk briefly about my structure, um, since I've alluded to it, you know, like I said, I always felt like the sermon should have some kind of piece of calling, some kind of speaking collectively over the, the people who are there. And for me, that came out of, you mentioned the hero's journey earlier. The hero's journey, there's the, there's the part where the hero is always called to go on a journey by the prophet. And so I just kind of felt like the role of the sermon is to have the text that we're studying, not me necessarily, but have mm-hmm. the text that we're studying or the topic that we're studying that day be that prophet. And, and it always calls that person out of themselves to something different, something mm-hmm. beyond themselves. Um, so that was my understanding of what the role of the sermon it should be, that calling to the, everyone as a people. So I wanted to get, I always try to get to that place first. What am I going to call people to? And then the other pieces fill in around that. I would always like to begin, um, well, let me move back. I already talked about what comes after the calling, which is the imagination piece. What does it look like for us to live this out as a community or individually? Um, but leading up to that calling piece, there would be the teaching element, you know, and the teaching is just work through the text or work through the texts multiple. If it was a more thematic sermon. Um, and it was always helpful to have that calling piece because there's always more about a text that I want to share than everybody needs to hear or that we have time for. So knowing how I'm you know, trying to point that text toward the specific calling for the day, that helps me <laughs> limit, because I get really nerdy, Mike. I can get really nerdy about history stuff and all that. So, so you've got part two is the teaching, part three is the calling, and part four is the imagination, which takes me back to part one. I always tried to start a sermon with attention. Like what, mm. what, what is the tension that we might be feeling um, a, as a people, either 
culturally or um, that is going to be exposed in this text, you know, but usually that tension I somehow wanted to have related to the calling that we were going to do because it would get people thinking about it, but mostly just to get people invested. The most clear example of this one, I always think back on this one, um, and hindsight is way more than 2020 at this point, but in early 2016, okay, I was preaching a sermon and it, we were doing lectionary at the time and the text was, you know, Revelation 4 and 5, Jesus is on the throne. And so I was preaching on that. So my tension for that day was I just put up a picture of all of the presidential candidates in the United States at that time. And I think at that point it had been whittled down to like six, you know, there were maybe two Democratic candidates left and there were four Republican candidates left, I think, at that point. Uh, we all know how things went from there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, but even just putting that up in our congregation in Austin was immediate tension because that, that was a, even leading up to that, you know, not that we were even a very split congregation politically necessarily, but we were engaged and paying attention. And so there was an immediate tension there. And, and my point was not that any of these people is going to be God's ordained. My point is going to be, no matter what comes of this, we celebrate today that Jesus is on the throne and we live. As, so, yeah, that's just an example. So all that to say for your question about what does sermon preparation look like, because I have some level of clarity about what I want to try to do in any given sermon that I want to move through these, these movements, these four pieces to a sermon. Yeah. Um, and what the purpose of that is going to be that, that really helps me with the, the preparation piece. Cause it's just slotting all these ideas that usually come to me into place. Yeah. And so it sounds like you have like a definite goal that you're aiming towards and, and then selecting what is included based on if it serves that goal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's by the time I get down to it, I've got like the four movements over here, so to speak in a document. And then I have all these ideas over here and it's just starting to drag them in. Where do they fit? And there's always stuff that's over here that I really like. Um, but it's just a little too much. Uh, Mm. even the, even the sermon you heard, like in hindsight, I thought, ah, there's, I should have just left this part out. Um, but, but just knowing that then I can start to see out of all these ideas I've had or quotes that I've had or anything like that, these are the ones that will really help me move towards this calling and move people towards where I want to get with this sermon. It's just really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's, 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 that's beautiful. Um, I love, I love that there's like an action piece or that imagine piece towards the end and, you know, editing is so hard because, everything that we want to say is all good, you know, or at least we, we think that it's all good, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, and it's, it's hard. And, you know, I think in the world of cinema, they talk about, um, what killing your darlings, yeah, um, yeah. the, the director's cuts versus the producer's cuts. And there's, there's good things that are, that have to be removed for the purpose of on the one hand time, but then also realizing that like time is a limited resource, but also like attention, it's a limited resource as well too. And we want people to not be sidetracked by every interesting thing that John right. came across as yeah. he was considering Romans four and sorry, revelation four and five, like lots right. of things could be said, yeah. but, but what is that, that core, that point? Uh, well, we, we've gone actually a little bit longer than I was anticipating. And I, um, some of it's due to the frequent uh, <laughs> pauses that Zoom is doing, and then some of it is due to to geeking out about the yes. the inner workings of uh, preacher sermon based podcast stuff. But but I want to like I want to end by by asking you like so what are you doing now? What's what's next for for John Chandler? Yeah, yeah, and so I'll, I mean I'll just give a little personal background on what all this transition has been and why you saw Sermon Smith fade away. Um, and, yeah, and, we, and, I, and I emailed you a couple times to be like, yeah. what's happened? I miss yeah. it. Where is it? <laughs> so we, um, you know, in the, in the, literally it was like a th- in the course of three months, we, and I won't go into all the details of it for the sake of time, but you know, we made the decision to leave Austin, um, for just health reasons. Our family, uh, 
with asthma and some mold stuff and all that, our family was not thriving in the uh, reality of living in Austin, Texas. Oh, really? Okay. And so it was, it was really hard. There were circumstances around it, but we just made the determination we need to live someplace else. And so that led to, you know, leaving behind that, that ministry um, and moved back to Arizona where we'd been before and just tried to determine what's next. I worked for a nonprofit for a while, but it was at that point when we left Arizona that I put the podcast on pause. Um, and, and as you know, it was very unexpected because I'm even chuckling because our initial email was I was working up towards a celebrate the hundredth episode of Sermon Smith. And that's yeah. how you reached out to me <laughs> initially. Yeah. Yeah. And then I stopped it, I think 98, 97, yeah. um, because it just wasn't expected. And so I, I really dallied for a while with, should I restart this? But not preaching enough, it felt like, it, it felt like I couldn't have those conversations in the same way. And I was also exploring like, am I going to go back into ministry? Um, it, it felt like I, I did, you know, explore positions with a few different churches and went through some interviews and all that. Um, and I, I paused that after a couple, cause I realized first off any other church that I was interested in for the moment felt like a rebound girlfriend. Cause I loved our church so dearly in Austin that we had started and the people who were there. Um, but also just, had a sense through that of, I don't know that that's what this next season is for me, even though I deeply love ministry. And in a lot of ways, I still miss it. I also know that some of my own passion and gifting um, doesn't perfectly fit. And especially a lot of the, um, a lot of the organizational parts of being a lead pastor, you know, I'm more of a pastor slash teacher. Um, I'm much more interested in spiritual formation than I am in, interested in like organizational development. Um, and those that's valid and that's part of pastoring, but I yeah. just spent a lot of time wondering what does this look like for me? And spiritual direction kind of came to my attention. It was something I was familiar with, but I, it, it just caught my attention as something that might be a better fit. Obviously as somebody who does podcasts, I love to sit with people and ask questions um, and I've had this growing heart, you know, I, I turned 50 last year. Okay. And so, you know, you start asking questions about, you know, how, how can I now take my experience? How can I now take my seasoning? I don't feel old, but I feel a little more seasoned. You know, how can I take some of my life experience, um, in a way that's, uh, going to be beneficial and, and valuable to others. Read a book called Sacred Fire by Ronald Rollheiser, which, Everybody, you can't read it in your 20s. It'd be wasted on you. But for you, I would strongly recommend it. <laughs> Am I? Okay. In your okay. late 30s. I'm on the cusp of getting it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think definitely now. But um, so, yeah. Uh, and so ultimately right now I'm in training to be a spiritual director. And I'm, I'm really hoping to cultivate a practice of spiritual direction that primarily focuses on people who are in spiritual leadership roles, maybe in faith-based nonprofits or people who are in ministry. Mm. Um, I've just had a growing heart for, for that, you know, for the, for the loneliness of that role, for the pressures of that role, but also because it's unlike any other role, like the, the nature of true pastoring. And I think, I think this is going to be, I, I hope we see the church return more and more to pastors are seen as, you know, spiritual leaders who are partnering with God and forming a people to partner with God rather than this. And this is, this sounds cynical and I don't mean it to sound cynical at all. Cause I know there are a lot of really beautiful hearted, good pastors, but um, you know, that I, I think that uh, the church has become such a, you know, the whole celebrity pastor idea, all of that. Um, the, the, the role of pastor has been disrupted a little bit in a not a good way. And I would mm. love to see and love to be a part of helping the role of pastor once again, be, you know, spiritually formed people who are, who are partnering with God, um, and leading congregations. And so I, I'd, I'd love to be a part of helping that happen. And spiritual direction for me is a way that I hope I can, um, help offer that. Yeah. And, and is this, is this a, um, location specific type of ministry? Is this, uh, can you foresee it being face to face for Arizona residents or is this something that 
the broad listeners to this podcast could avail of? Yeah, it, I think it'll be both. I think I've been surprised by, um, I think I've been surprised, you know, I've done some during COVID, I've done some, you know, therapy and counseling, you know, over Zoom and been surprised that that's been more effective than I thought it could be. I've done spiritual direction over Zoom. I don't think it's the best, mm. you know, like I think embodied presence is always better. So I'm hoping to have a practice that kind of does both. I wouldn't say no to meeting with somebody in Louisiana. Um, I don't know why that came to mind. It just was the okay. first state that came to my mind. So, Hey, you Louisiana listeners, the <laughs> Lord is coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> Get in touch yeah, with John. So I, I do hope to um, be available to offer, you know, spiritual direction over Zoom for people. But I also really hope to be able to meet with people and whether that's do on-site intensives or, you know, go meet mm. with pastors in their office or meet with people in my home office. Um, I'm going to be open to all of it. I'm still finishing my training right now. I have another year of that. So right now I'm just doing limited, you know, quote unquote, practice spiritual direction. Oh, I see. Okay. With people uh, while I finish up my training and, and start that practice. So alongside that, and you and I talked about this earlier, but I do have another podcast incubating, which hopefully by the time, you know, this comes out will be available. And I'll, I will actually post on sermonsmith.com when that other one launches. So okay. if anyone's interested in that, they can find it. But I'm, it's going to be really a tweak of Sermon Smith because I'm still mostly going to interview pastors um, and faith leaders. But rather than talking about habits for sermon preparation, I'm going to talk about habits. Uh, the way I would say it is habits for partnering with God. You know, okay. like what what is your life? What are your rhythms that are helping you as a spiritual leader stay partnered, you know, with God and, and the soul care that's required for that, the continuing formation and growth that's required for that. So yeah, that's, like I say, that's incubating, but I hope that's going to be getting started here in the next few months, maybe by the time you publish this. Yeah. So listeners, go check the show notes. Maybe there's a link that will bring you right there <laughs> or, uh, or maybe not. Who knows? Who knows? I would even say the name, but I'm only 80% set on the name right now. So, And if you don't have the domain purchased, then maybe you should uh, just keep that to yourself. I have multiple domains purchased, Mike. Oh, yeah. You're one of those guys. (laughs) You're one of those website guys that just... Yeah. How many domains do you own right now? Uh, Well, there's probably probably 25 or 30, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, I I know I know guys like you, <laughs> <laughs> collecting domains. Um, okay, all right. Well, yeah. So if if it's not out by the time that this releases, we'll definitely you know um, uh, lend our social media support, tweet out a link um, to connect people uh, to this. Maybe this is just like maybe there's somebody listening to this who is just on the edge of their seat uh, because in certain traditions, this is not something that's really talked about. Um, there's you know, therapy, if you get in real big trouble, you know, right. and even that's a, even that is a misnomer. That's not the right way. Of, but people think of it like that. And then otherwise you just, just kind of struggle along. Um, but you're perhaps introducing this category to, to some that maybe have never considered it. So yeah, uh, thank you for doing that. And maybe somebody in Louisiana or elsewhere uh, will hmm. reach out. Maybe so. Uh, well, John, thank you so much. Thanks for, I mean, on the one hand, like for your time now, but also thank you for personally for the, the 97 uh, episodes that you have uh, enriched me uh, with. And uh, hopefully, too, if if you're listening now and if you like the Expositors Collective, then you're going to love Sermon Smith and you have like 97 fresh episodes you've never heard before. And uh, you should really check them out. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, John, thank you so much for, again, the, the past and present. And um, for the listener, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Uh, thanks, John. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. Love what you're doing here. Well, thanks so much, John, for your openness and your honesty. Uh, It's exciting to hear about the upcoming uh, Spiritual Direction podcast. If it's anything like the Sermon Smith, I know it's going to be great. And uh, keep connected to us on social media. And as soon as this podcast is launched, uh, you'll hear about it from us. 
So uh, once again, uh, thanks, John. And for the listeners, you can check out uh, the show notes. There'll be links to previous Sermon Smith episodes. Like I said, there's like 97 episodes that are waiting for you to discover. Sadly, there there won't be any more after <laughs> after 97, but uh, hopefully we're carrying the torch uh, here with the Expositors Collective. So you've been invited to the CGN International Conference, and I hope that many of you are able to make it there. Uh, that's in the month of June. But looking ahead in your calendars, uh, here is an invitation for you to make it out to the Expositors Collective Training Weekend taking place in the month of September. So I hope that this episode and the training weekends and all that we do help you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. God bless. Hello, this is Pastor Eric Cartier from Rocky Mountain Calvary. I want to invite you to come join us for the Expositors Collective in September. We're hosting it here in Colorado Springs. It's a beautiful setting right by the mountains. But more importantly, this is a great time to be able to get equipped to teach God's Word. What I love most about the Expositors Collective is its focus on young people. For God to really raise up the next generation to communicate God's Word. We've never needed God's truth more than now. So if you're thinking about coming, consider yourself invited. We'd love to have you. It's going to be a great time.